Hey everyone, welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. We'd love for you to join us more frequently. So before we get started, why don't you take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Here's today's message from Zach Gagler. How are you tonight? Pretty good. Wow, wasn't that amazing? How good was um, just the little little man going under the waters of baptism? I tell you what, I choked up in that moment because I think I was about that age when I went under the waters of baptism. And just an incredible moment of a moment that you'll remember, young people, that were baptised forever. Write down the date, mark it in your Bibles, wherever you mark it. Just remember it. It's an important date, a life-changing date. And uh, we're just so happy for you tonight. Hope you felt, for those that went under the waters of baptism, I hope you felt just people just encouraging you and uh, praying for you and lifting you up. And we're stoked for your journey, the decision to follow Jesus and uh, well done. Hey, can we give them a hand one last time tonight? It's awesome, awesome. Hey, well, um, you know, I've been away on holidays for a month. I can't believe it. It's been a month and I'm back. I'm feeling rested. I'm feeling relaxed and uh, pretty chill. And I know that the start of this year, we've started a new series called Start Strong. And I hope that you've been able to start this year well and start strong. And because I didn't say it earlier, Happy New Year. <laughs> it's nice to see you. 24th of January, I'm a little late to the party, but Happy New Year nonetheless. And uh, tonight, I wanna talk specifically about how we can start strong in our worship. I wanna shine the spotlight on the topic of awe and wonder before God. How do we enter into His presence just with absolute joy of heart? How do we get the most out of our time together when we come to worship? And uh, so I'm just gonna share a few thoughts. Young people, try really hard not to fall asleep tonight. I know you're tired. It's been a really long camp. Well, actually, it's been a quite a short camp. You know, we used to do like four days away. Oh, was it? Okay, we won't talk about that. Um, great to have you here tonight. So nudge your neighbour if they start falling asleep and tell them to pay attention because this might be for you. All right, so um, yeah, we've been away for a little bit and... Um, Earlier in the year, last year, we celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary, and me and my wife, and yeah, it was awesome, but we didn't get to travel anywhere because of thanks COVID. Um, so all of our plans got cancelled, and we didn't really celebrate much in the middle of the year. And so this time away, you know, a fair few weeks off, we tried to really mark the moment, and uh, found ourselves 10 long, hard, I mean, lovely years of marriage. Um, it's been awesome. And, uh, you know, we found ourselves looking through old photos, you know, we were so young when we got married and um, nice to see photos of the beautiful day and uh, Claire looked stunning in her dress and uh, my groomsmen remembered the rings, thank God, it was an amazing day. And, um, you know, this week I was talking with Josh, our worship pastor, who's due to be married this year. Come on, so exciting. And um, we were talking about the wedding and all their plans and Man, it dawned on me how much planning is involved in throwing the biggest party of your life. Like, it is the biggest party you'll probably ever throw in your life, but a lot of planning is required in order to put it together. Think about it, you've got to find a venue, which I know you guys have just found, and then you've got to book that venue. Hopefully no one else books it before you. You've got to send invitations. You've got to decide first on your guest list, which is every family's real struggle. Um, you've got to set a budget. Uh, you've got to pick a menu and then you've got to try and stick to that budget 
when people want to invite more people to the wedding. Um, you have to get dressed up and you have to smile even when your face hurts on the day, right? That's like there's so much preparation and planning goes. Um, what about people even attending your wedding? I mean, they have to receive the invitations. They have to send an RSVP. They have to go and get a gift. They have to get dressed up. They probably have to take the day off work potentially um, if it's midweek wedding like ours uh, to be there and to be present. There's a lot of preparation and planning required, not just to throw a wedding, but to even to attend a wedding. And, um, you know, I was thinking about that. And I think the same is true when it comes to worshiping God. I think we need to get ready to worship God. I think we need to prepare to worship God. We need to make an effort to get to church to be with God's people, which congratulations tonight. You've made the effort to be here. Give yourself a round of applause. Well done, well done. Listen, when we come to worship, we need to be prepared and we need to make a decision to leave our moodiness at the door and put on the garment of praise, says the Bible. The prophet Isaiah says, exchange your garment for a garment of praise. And so we need to prepare as we come into the presence of God. Listen, I reckon when it comes to worship, purposeful preparation unlocks powerful praise. Purposeful preparation of our hearts, of the atmosphere of our lives, unlocks powerful praise in God's presence. Think about it in other aspects of life. You don't leave the house without first getting dressed, right? I mean, maybe some people do. The dash to the letterbox in the morning. <laughs> you don't drive your car without putting on your seatbelt. And you never, ever, 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 ever start a work day without first having a coffee, right? Preparation is key in lots of other areas of our life. And I think it's also key when it comes to worship. And so the title of my message tonight is Prepare to Praise. Prepare to Praise. And I just wanna share a few thoughts about how we can prepare our hearts to worship God. How when we come as a community to times like this, how we can get the most out of this time and bless God's heart through our worship. And uh, we're gonna look at Psalm 98 together. Everyone say Psalm 98. Psalm 98, the first nine verses, uh, we're going to unlock them and unpack them. And uh, in those first nine verses, the psalmist shares a few key thoughts as to how we can prepare to praise, how we can cultivate a life of worship. So let's read it. Psalm 98 verse 1, it says, Sing a new song to the Lord, for He has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown His saving power. He has remembered His promise to love and be faithful to Israel to the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. So the psalmist is telling us here that we can prepare to praise by building an attitude of gratitude. An attitude of gratitude. Being thankful, building a thankful heart. He says, hasn't the Lord done wonderful things? He's declaring and speaking with an attitude of gratitude. And that's the first principle for us as worshippers. To unlock powerful praise, we prepare by developing an attitude of gratitude. You know, a couple of Psalms later in Psalm 100, it says that when we enter into God's presence, thank you or gratitude is actually the password to unlock His presence. So you don't need to bust down the door to experience God. All you need to do is come before Him with a grateful heart. How, how awesome is that? You don't need to try. You don't need to muster up courage. All you need to do is be grateful. A little bit of gratitude. So how do we cultivate a grateful heart? 
How do we build thankfulness into our lives? Well, I think there's two things the psalmist tells us to do. Firstly, to remember. So he says, hasn't the Lord done wonderful deeds in verse one? So by remembering what God has done, how many of you are thankful that God has brought you through a situation? Hey, anybody in the room, wave at me tonight. Come on up the back if it's you, wave at me. Hey, we have the scars on our body, maybe metaphorically or or literally, to show what God has done in our lives. And we should remember what God has done and give Him the praise that He is due with a grateful heart because we're not there anymore. We're here, we're in a different place. Secondly, the psalmist tells us to proclaim what God is doing. In verse three, he says, the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. So it's not just remembrance, but it's proclamation. It's declaring who God is. And I think through daily remembrance and daily proclamation, we start to change and shift the atmosphere of our heart and build an attitude of gratitude into our lives, amen? So listen, gratitude is not an idea, it's an action. Gratitude is not a concept, it's something that we must express and act on. When someone gives you something nice, you don't think grateful thoughts, you express gratitude. So gratitude is not an idea, it's actually an action. It's something when we come in worship, we must understand that it needs to be expressed. I think one of the beautiful ways that the Bible expresses this is in the story of the woman with the alabaster jar. Do you remember the story? She bought a whole year worth of perfume. Well, sorry, perfume that was worth a year's worth of wages. An extravagant gift. And she broke it on the floor and anointed Jesus' feet with this perfume. And the disciples said, what an absolute waste. We could have given this to the poor. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. She sinned much. But because she has been forgiven much, she has expressed her heart towards me. So gratitude is not something that we receive from God. It's something that we give to God based on what we've received. Gratitude is something that we express based on what we have received from God, amen? So gratitude is not an idea, it's an action. So when you approach worship, I wanna encourage you not to come to get something from God, not to get what you need, but come to give to God, come to express your gratitude for who He is, for what He's done and for what He is doing in your life. You know, I'm so grateful, right? Like, and um, over the years, I've got a bit of a bad rap. I've had people come to me and say, you know what, Zach? I just can't believe what you say. I was like, what? They're like, you're just too positive all the time. Like, surely it's just a mask and the real you is like really nasty. Um, And look, on the Gallup strength test, positivity is my number one strength. So I am an optimist, but I tell you what, thanks, Claire. I tell you what, my gratitude or my positivity is nothing to do with positive thinking. It is genuine gratitude for what God's done. You know what? When I was a 12-year-old pimple-faced kid, I met Jesus in an upper room at a youth camp and He changed my life forever. And I tell you, young people, if you experience Jesus this camp, that moment is enough to propel your worship forever. And whenever I think back to that moment, I'm reminded of what God has done in my life, of where I'd be without Him. And that builds gratitude in my heart and in my spirit. So express gratitude, amen? 
Colossians 3 verse 16 says, Let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms, sing hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. We just sing with gratitude. All right, point number two, prepare to praise by understanding why it is we actually praise. That is to honour God, to honour God. The truth is we're not here to sing nice songs about God. We're not even here to receive from God. We're here to minister to God, to give Him honour. In other words, worship isn't about getting help from God. It's about giving honour to God. It's about giving honour to who He is. Psalm 98 verse 4, Shout to the Lord all the earth, break into praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with all the harp and with melodious song, with the trumpets and with the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. You know, the use of the words, the Lord, the King, are critical here in this psalm and it's telling us something. It's telling us that God isn't our mate or our old mate. He's not a long lost friend. He's not the one who blesses from afar. He's not a cosmic prime minister who looks after His kingdom from afar on high. He's not just the one that we call on when we need Him like Santa Claus or get gifts from Him. God is King. God is Lord. And there is a holiness and a reverence about Him that we must understand when we come to worship. We're not worshipping to a guy that's nice to us. We're worshipping to the King who rules in all of His kingdom and rules all of the earth. He is the King. You know, in referring to God as King, the Bible has this interesting phrase over 300 times in the Scriptures. The Bible says to fear the Lord, fear the Lord. And uh, I think this phrase is related to honour and giving honour to God. But I think, unfortunately, we misunderstand what fearing the Lord means. You know, in our Western thinking, we think of fear as nothing other than waking up in the middle of the night with a terrible dream like a child. But fearing God is less horror and more reverence. Fearing God is about submitting to His rule because we have a right picture of who He is. And that results in a reverence for Him. You know, I reckon C.S. Lewis describes it best in the story of the Chronicles of Narnia. Anyone read the story, the Chronicles, or seen the movies? The Chronicles of Narnia is a story where four children enter into a bedroom closet. Um, And in that closet, they discover this fantasy world called Narnia. And inside, as they enter into Narnia, they meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Love those guys, they're so kind. And they talk to the kids and they tell the children about Narnia. They inform them about what this world is all about and they tell the children about this Christ-like figure called Aslan. But as the children hear that Aslan is a lion, they begin to become afraid. And they wonder, is it safe to meet him? Is it safe to approach him? Mr. Beaver responds, I love what he says. He says this, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good, I tell you, the king. And I think this perfectly describes what it means to fear the Lord, what it means to honour the Lord. God is not domesticated, but God isn't equally a violent ruler. God is King and He's good to those who are in His kingdom. He loves those in His kingdom. You know, upon hearing all of this, Peter, um, one of the boys says to Mr. Beaver, he says, I'm longing to see Aslan, even if I do feel a little bit afraid. I love that. 
I think that's how we should approach God when it comes to our worship. Understanding is more than mere respect. Honour is not respect. Honour is more than that. Honour is reverence for God and submission to God and understanding that He is the Lord and we're not. You know, what someone once said, uh, respect is earned, but honour is given. Can I encourage you just to give honour to God? When you speak about God, would you talk to Him with a reverence and a holiness? When you talk about God to your friends, do you talk about Him with cynicism? Or do you trifle with the matters of the King? I wanna encourage you to enter into worship with a clear understanding that God is King. Can you say amen? Amen. Point number three, we prepare to praise by developing a spirit of unity. Verse seven says, let the sea and everything in it shout His praise. Let the earth and all the living things join in. So here the Psalmist is reminding us that worship is not about me. Worship's not about you. Worship is about all of us responding to who God is. It's all of us, it's unity. God commands a blessing where there is unity. And so we must preserve unity as we come to worship. You know, church is not your personal iPhone to switch the song when you don't like it. Nah, come on, add your voice, lend yourself to the unity and grow the unity in the room. Prepare your heart to worship. I think there's four types of unity the Bible tells us to build. Firstly, unity with self. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. How many of you know that you can be in a room and present in body, but absent in mind? Maybe like some of the young people right now. Uh, maybe you aren't, no. <laughs> so you can be present in a space, but absent. Unity with self is critical to build. The Psalmist in Psalm 103 says, let all that I am praise the Lord. So it's not just a part of me, it's all of me. N.T. Wright writes wonderfully on worship saying that all of our bodies should respond to God, just as all of creation responds to Him. And I wanna encourage you not to compartmentalize yourself. Don't fall into the Greek philosophical worldview that you're either a head or a heart person. No, no, that's not the way of Jesus and that's not the way of the kingdom. This idea of compartmentalizing, oh, worship isn't for me. I just come, no, come on. That's not the way of Jesus. Jesus is both head and heart. We are one person. Don't compartmentalize, have unity with self. Second type of unity the Bible calls us to build is unity in community. So I think worship, and as we sing, isn't just a part of how we do church, but worship is being the church. Worship is a key part of God's design for us. Think about it. You know, the Psalms are called by theologians, Israel's songbook. So Israel, through their trials and through their real struggles and through their amazing moments, came back to this songbook, the Psalms, and sung the songs together. And you know, there's something so encouraging as a community when you come to church and you hear the person next to you roaring out the same truth that you believe. Now that is unity. And that's the unity that God calls us to build. So like I said, church isn't your own personal iPod to switch the song when you don't like it. Come on, suck it up, sing the song, get involved, add your voice to the unity. Can you say amen this tonight? Number three, unity in creation. The Bible tells us that we join all of earth as we sing in all of creation. The Bible says that the whole world is filled with the glory of God. 
The psalmist in this psalm that we're reading today tells, let the whole earth sing. I love what Jesus says, you know, in Luke 19, He says, I tell you, even if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. (laughs) In other words, all of creation reveals the majesty and the beauty of God. And so when we sing, we join with all of creation. We join with the sunset and we join with the sunrise in declaring the grace and the faithfulness of God. And so we're, much, we're part of something much bigger than just us when we sing. Unity in creation. Lastly, unity of mission is the last type of unity I think the Bible calls us to build. Now, when we sing, we're not just singing to pump ourselves up and pump up our tires to feel better about life. But when we sing, we should be reminded of the call to be salt and light in the world. We're reminded that Jesus lives in me. And that implies not that I feel better, but that I go out and reveal Jesus to someone else. So as we worship, we build unity of mission. We're reminded like Abraham, that we are bearers of blessing. We're meant to be a blessing to those that we encounter. And we are fulfilled in our common mission as a church. So it's only in unity that God commands a blessing. So I wanna encourage you to build it. Point number four, prepare to praise with a heart of joy. Heart of joy. Verse eight says, let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs before of of joy before the Lord. So the Hebrew word for joy here is the word ronan. Everybody say ronan. Or say it like an Aussie, ronan. Ronan, mate. The psalmist here is expressing something really important, which is that again, joy is not an idea. It's something that's expressed. If we are to hear a ringing cry, that implies that it's meant to be seen and it's meant to be heard. So joy is not something to be kept inside, but it's something to express. You know, um, previously, you know, I've been a worship pastor and a lot of the time I would tell our team and I'd tell us as a church um, to make the choice to rejoice. It's one of those phrases that we use in church because Paul says, be joyful in all circumstances. But I think there's something far deeper going on than just making a determined choice to be joyful. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. The point here is that joy is not just an expression of praise, but joy is what we have because of who we belong to when we praise. This is critical to understand because it means that you can clap your hands, you can sing out loud, you can raise your hands, you can bow before the Lord, not because you're feeling great, but because your faith is in someone who's great. Amen? Listen, feelings should never dictate our expression of worship. Our mood should never shape our melody. Our emotion should never stop our expression of worship. Sometimes we just got to start singing and trusting for those that belong to Christ, joy will come as I start praising Him. As I start relying more on my faith than my feelings, God will move in my life and He'll change the atmosphere of my heart. So I wanna encourage you to build joy into your heart and how you worship. And if you're not feeling joy right now, just start singing. Start articulating the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. Start building some of that gratitude. And trust me, that joy will follow every time. Last point, prepare to praise by building anticipation. See what I did there? I built a little bit of anticipation. 
Verse nine says, He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. The Psalmist here is telling us to anticipate the move of God. The Psalmist says He is coming. Do you know Jesus is coming back? Do you know that Jesus is coming to make the world right? And every time we gather as a slice of heaven on earth, as God's people meet, And I wanna encourage you to come to these spaces with anticipation and with expectation for what God wants to do. You know, we can sit on the edge of our seat like at a wedding where everyone moves in their seat to see the bride as she walks in. We should come when we come to worship with the same kind of spirit that we're ready for God to move because who knows what He could do. When God's people gather, there's liberty. When God's Spirit is there, there's freedom. And you know what? What I've noticed in life and doing church for many, many years is that anything could happen when God's involved and it probably will. (laughs) So we gotta build a little bit of expectation. You know, like I said, um, being a worship pastor for many years and I've stood on this stage and led worship um, across the whole day of Sunday many times. And uh, that's a 9 a.m., 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. And you know, often when I'm leading the whole day, I'll pick the same set list across the day because a lot of work goes into the preparation and I wanna make sure that it's the right songs that we as a church are singing. And um, you know, it's really interesting because it'll be the same worship leader, me, the same songs, the same atmosphere, the same room. And the only difference between those services is the expectation in the room, is the level of desire. Do you know that your desire unlocks the presence of God? And I can tell you there's been some times where I don't know why, but you know, the 5 p.m. is just a light and God is moving in power. But one of the other celebrations is just dead. And the only difference there, I believe, is a heart of anticipation and expectation for God to move. And I think one of the best examples of this is in uh, Luke's Gospel. I think um, Tanya talked about it last week with Mary and Martha. You know the story, Martha is busy in the house, preparing, doing all the tasks and all the things she needs to do to prepare for Jesus to come, the right thing, I guess. And Mary, instead, the polar opposite, is sitting at Jesus' feet, um, just basking in His glory. And uh, Mary gets pretty upset about it. And uh, Jesus responds to, I'm sorry, Martha gets pretty upset. And Jesus says to her this, He says, Dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details, but there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. I love that word, discovered it, how it says it in the NLT. You know, you can't discover at a distance. You kind of got to get up close in order to discover something. And I don't think you can anticipate God at a distance when you're at arm's length. I think you gotta come a little bit closer. James says, James 4 verse eight says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So God's a God that wants us to expect Him to move and to draw near to Him with a posture of proximity. It's something that we must build in our worship. You can't discover at a distance. I think we all know this and I certainly know this to be true. So what stops me from stepping into that discovery, from living a life in worship of curiosity? Well, I think simply it's distraction. I don't know about you, but often I'm standing here in worship and I'm trying to focus on God, but my mind is running a million miles an hour or I'm carrying the offense of what happened before church and I'm distracted. I'm distracted from what God wants to do. 
There's no way you can discover when you're distracted. I wrote a little song a little while back and I included this lyric that I think is probably my life lyric because it speaks to me, is um, we don't wanna waste this moment because we know, God, that you are here. And the reason I bring that up is, I don't know about you, but I feel like there are so many wasted moments because I'm so distracted. I wonder what it would look like if we said, we don't wanna waste this moment because God is here. We build a spirit of expectation for Him to move in the room because one moment with God is better than a lifetime of what we could accomplish, amen? I think the, um, you know, the prophets of old understood this really well. The Bible says that they told us to lift up holy hands. And, you know, I've always thought of this, I've spoken about this before, I think, at church and always used to think of this as just a symbolic gesture. You know, we always say, lift your hands as a sign of surrender to God. And it is that, but I think there's something deeper going on. See, the prophets would have to put down what was in their hand. They had a rod and a staff, the things that represented their protection and their profession. And so this idea of lifting up holy hands is not just simple surrender, but it's actually a letting go, a laying down of the things that would distract us from God, a laying down of the things that I would seek to take life into my own hands, but instead to lay them down and lift up hands to God, to say, God, I need you. You know, I think the devil, the enemy, loves nothing more than a distracted church. Because if we're distracted, then God doesn't get the glory because we're thinking about other stuff. We're focused on other things. We're focused on our protection and our profession. I think if the devil wants to divide us as a church, he just needs to distract us. I think if he wants to make us ungrateful, he just needs to distract us. If he wants us to expect that nothing's gonna happen when we gather, we just need to be distracted. I wanna encourage you to come to Sundays, to come when we gather as a church to worship with expectation and anticipation. You know, Sundays are my favourite day of the week, eh? It's not just because I work at church, but I tell you, because I'm so expectant for what God might do when, we're in our, when, when He's in our midst. The Bible says that where two or more gather in His name, He is there. You know, when God's involved, when God's in the mix, anything can happen. I've seen people healed. I've seen people set free in church. And I tell you what, I spend time in the morning on a Sunday building my expectation and my anticipation for what God might wanna do when He is here. You know why? Because I don't serve and you don't serve and we don't serve a dead, dormant, disinterested God. We serve a God who's alive, who's active, who is the authority over all things. Yeah, come on, give Him praise tonight. He's worthy of it. I get excited to see that God at work. So purposeful preparation leads to powerful praise. Build a life of gratitude, of joy, of honour, of unity, and build that expectation of what God might wanna do. Get on the edge of your seat in life to see what the Holy Spirit might say or do. You say amen? Awesome.